Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and you are listening to Keeping the Faith. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Keeping the Faith is brought to you without ads or commercial interruption of any kind, except for this one invitation. I have friends who are inspired by what they hear from Keeping the Faith, and those friends support my work. But you can support this podcast as well by buying me a coffee. Buy Me a Coffee is a tiny little link where you can throw a few bucks into my tip jar and keep me busy behind the counter serving up the best episodes I have to offer. Simply go to buymeacoffee.com slash McBrayer, and you can easily and securely donate to the cause. You can also go to my website, RonnieMcBrayer.org, and click on Podcast. You will find several ways to lend a hand, and you can also choose your favorite listening platform, be it Apple, Podbean, or Spotify, so that you will never miss a single life-changing, day-making, death-defying episode. Thank you for being a regular listener. Emily Elizabeth Dickinson was born in this season of Advent in 1830 in New England. She would only live some 50 or so years, never marry, never have children, never hold a job, never buy a home. Afflicted possibly with epilepsy and a, quote, nervous disposition that probably would be diagnosed as some sort of anxiety disorder or a number of phobias today, she lived most of her adulthood in seclusion. She made good use of that time. She would write nearly 2,000 poems, keep massive journals, and write hundreds of letters. But only 10 of those poems were published in her lifetime. And she gave clear instructions to her sister and sister-in-law to burn all her papers upon her death. They burned her letters immediately. Those are lost. But they fought over what to do with her poetry dividing up loose-leaf papers and her journals among themselves. And this kept Dickinson's work undiscovered and unpublished for decades more. But by the 20th century, Dickinson was finally published. Her work was just too good to be kept silent or to be held hostage, the pawn of a family feud. And since that time, Emily Dickinson has been taught and disseminated far and wide and listed among the greatest poets in American history right there with Whitman and Poe and Frost. Some of her most famous poems are, It was not death, for I stood up. I dwell in possibility. I heard a fly buzz when I died. There's a lot of death in her poetry, by the way. This is my letter to the world. And I felt a funeral in my brain. There it is again. I'm sorry, but uh, it's a great title. I felt a funeral in my brain. My personal favorite of hers is poem 236. It is entitled, titled, Some Keep the Sabbath. Some keep the Sabbath going to church. 
I keep it staying at home. That's a line for the pandemic if there ever was one right there. With a bobolink for a chorister and an orchard for a dome. Some keep the Sabbath in surplice, I just wear my wings. And instead of tolling the bell for church, our little sexton sings. And one of the great lines in English literature, God preaches, a noted clergyman, and the sermon is never long. So instead of getting to heaven at last, I'm going all along. Isn't that wonderful? And here's one more, one that I was never taught in high school or in my college freshman English literature class. It is Dickinson's poem 314, Hope is the Thing with Feathers. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. And sweetest in the gale is heard And sore must be the storm that could abash that little bird that kept so many warm. I've heard it in the chilliest lands and on the strangest sea, yet never in extremity it asked a crumb of me. Contemporary Irish poet and theologian Padre Gautuama introduced those verses to me. Hope is the thing with feathers. Hope is a little colorful singing bird. It's there inside of you. Inside your soul. And it keeps humming. It keeps the tune going forever. Per Dickinson, the worst storm cannot drown out its voice. The coldest wind cannot freeze it. The weirdest traveling conditions cannot spook it from its perch. And it never asks you for a thing. It just keeps singing. Keeping you warm. Keeping you settled. Expectant. Keeping you hopeful. Keeping you company. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. How could I have missed those words these many years? Fifty years, never heard them. Where were you, Miss Vaughn, Miss Harris, Miss Callahan, Dr. Thomas? Why didn't you tell me about this poem when I sat in your class? Well, you know the explanation. They probably did. I know it was right up Miss Nancy Brown's alley. I wasn't paying attention in class, most likely, when I first heard this masterpiece. And even if I had been paying attention, it's not likely that these words would have lodged in my memory. I couldn't hear Emily Dickinson at the time. When you are young and full of brass, who needs to hear about hope anyway? Bravado is enough then. Ambition carries you along. What 20-year-old young man needs to hear about some little bird singing in his soul? How pansy-ish is that? I don't need feathers. I've got a fast car. I don't need hope. I need that girl's telephone number. I don't need a song. I need everyone to get out of my way. But live a little while, right? Have... The decades do their dirty work. 
You suffer setbacks, disappointments, you bury friends and loved ones, you grind through days, sometimes you grind through years of confusion. Let that silver never acquire and pile up in your bank account, but instead on your face and in your hair. You begin to lose some of that swagger. You have your bravado smashed by this uncompromising world. And then you start listening for, you start begging that little bird to sing in your soul. From another great American poet and songwriter, there is a line that best describes that crushing disappointment that is the enemy of hope. Sweet dreams in flying machines in pieces on the ground. That's a line from James Taylor, his song, Fire and Rain. The song has three verses, single chorus, and none of it is happy. And yet it is a masterpiece that most anybody that you meet that loves music loves this song. Verse 1 is about his friend Suzanne. She took her own life. He was in the UK at the time recording with the Beatles. It was a different time, a different era. There was no smartphone in his pocket, so he was in isolation. She was gone a month before he even knew that she was dead. Just yesterday morning, they let me know you were gone. The second verse is about his heroin addiction, about him trying to get clean. Won't you look down upon me, Jesus? you got to help me make a stand. I'm not going to make it any other way. And the last verse is about His emotional collapse, his admission to a mental health facility, coming to terms with his limitations, the breakup of his band. His band was named The Flying Machine. Sweet dreams and flying machines in pieces on the ground. And that is exactly when hope comes calling. You don't need a lot of hope when you're feeling good. But when things are bad, You start listening. And you wonder, is that song still there? Can I still hear that little bird encouraging me in my way? There are five candles in an Advent wreath. Weeks from now, the large white central candle will be placed. It represents the Christ child. It will burn on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day all the way through Epiphany. In various order, depending upon your tradition, there is a candle representing peace. Jesus as Prince of Peace, the angels singing peace on earth. There is the candle of joy, the lone pink candle. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. There is the candle of love, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And today, the first Sunday of Advent, the candle of hope. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul. And for our Advent series this year, we'll turn from poetry to prose, from American wordsmiths to a Jewish and early Christian theologian, from Emily Dickinson and James Taylor to the Apostle Paul and his friends in that town of Philippi. Somewhere around the turn of the first century, while Jesus was a young child in Nazareth, Saul was born in the city of Tarsus. He was born into a devout family, and by his late teenage years, He was under the tutelage of Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis of the era. And just as Jesus' ministry is launched in Galilee, Saul is joining 
a sect known as the Pharisees, the very group with whom Jesus would wrangle. And following that trajectory and convinced beyond any shadow of a doubt that he was doing God's will, Saul of Tarsus becomes the theological enforcer of Jerusalem. His vocation was to arrest, persecute, harass, and if necessary, execute the earliest Christians because of their heresy. Because they had forsaken the laws of God. And I've often repeated this, it is not outside imagination to think of Paul as a radicalized cleric. One that you might even see in the world today. But then there is that fateful day, sometime about 35 AD, as Saul is on his way to Damascus in Syria, the risen Christ appears to him on the road and strikes him down, but not with vengeance. Strikes him down with the light of heaven, with grace, with redemption. Saul is converted, yes. But it begins with a total demolition of the man. We often think that Paul is converted on the Damascus road and he does preach an early sermon right away. But we just think he got converted and got busy. It didn't happen that way. He retreats into modern day Saudi Arabia. He goes to the desert to make sense of it all. He spends three years there in isolation alone. He finally goes home, not to Jerusalem, not yet. He goes to Tarsus, the city of his birth. And there he begins to use the name Paul, the Greek rendering of his name, instead of the Jewish rendering of his name, because he has this calling he feels to the Greeks, to the Gentiles. And so it is a decade and a half, 15 years after his conversion, that he finally launches out and becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. And on that first missionary trip, he makes his way to Philippi. He would plant a dozen churches, write 30% of the New Testament, become the most influential Christian who has ever lived. And these Philippians, this church at Philippi, these are his favorite people. I know you're not supposed to have favorites. But these are his favorites. Because they are about the only group that he ever worked with that didn't drive him out of his mind. That can make someone your favorite, possibly. You can read about the founding of that church. It has very auspicious beginnings in Acts chapter 16. About as quickly as he arrived in town, he was arrested for disturbing the peace, for committing public sacrilege. He and his partner Silas are beat within an inch of their life and thrown in jail. Then an earthquake strikes the city. The city takes that as an act of divine punishment. For beating up Paul and Silas the way they did, they set them free from the prison and begged them to leave and never come back. And that's how the church started. And we hear Hope singing as he writes to them in Philippians. 1 verse 6, Paul says to them, I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now think again about who Paul is writing to here. He goes to a new town, a place where he didn't know a soul. There are a few early adopters, and the early adopters are always crazy and radical on the fringe. 
They start a riot. They get arrested. They get beat up. They get incarcerated. They get caught in a 6.4 Richter registered earthquake. Forced to leave town as quickly as they arrive. And I'm telling you, typically, that is not a winning strategy to employ. If you're starting something new. But Paul has all the hope in the world. God, who began this work within you, will get it done. God will finish what He has started within you. And that is a thing with feathers that perches in your soul. And what is the tune that it sings? What does hope sound like? Hope is what keeps going. And hope is what keeps you going. Hope is resiliency. Hope is what never dies. Hope is the stuff of endurance. And I've pointed to this example before. You look at clinical studies and the practical examples of those who have survived the worst atrocities. Prisoners of war. Individuals subjected to prolonged sexual abuse or physical abuse. Or others who have experienced various traumas. The survivors always have this intangible power to bend but not break under the pressure. These individuals endure They persevere, they hold on, and when the battle has ended and the waters have settled, they remain. They are hurt, maybe, but they're still alive. They're battered, but they are not defeated. They are sorely disappointed that things have not gone the way that they had hoped and planned, but they still have persistence and determination. Hope is the thing with feathers That perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. Passengers on an aircraft experience terrible, terrible turbulence. They're on a cross-Atlantic flight. They look out the right window and the engine is on fire. Pilot comes on the PA system and says, as you can See out the right-hand window that we've lost an engine, but I don't want anybody to be afraid. This plane is designed to function with one engine, and we will be safely in the air. We'll land at the closest airport that we can arrive at, but I don't want you to be afraid. And a lady's on the airplane who's hard of hearing, and she turns to a priest who is sitting beside her, and she says, What did he say? And the priest says, He said, Don't worry. A few minutes later, more terrible turbulence. They look out the left side, that engine is on fire. Pilot comes back on the PA system again and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, I regret to inform you that we've lost our second engine. And this plane is not designed to stay in the air without two engines. So uh, we're a thousand miles from land. You need to prepare yourself for a water landing. Only God can help us now. And the lady who's hard of hearing says to the priest, what did he say? And the priest says, he said we don't have any hope. That's sort of how we take hope. It's sort of how we take God. We'll call on God when we got nobody left in the Rolodex to call on. Right? Then we start, is there, is there the sound of hope out there? Is God out there? Is God listening? And if you've done that in your life, if you've waited to say your prayers 
only after you've done everything else you could do. Congratulations, you're human. We all do that. But it's never too late. It's never too late. That's what hope is about. Turning to it, listening for it, embracing it. We turn to God, and I'm not saying that God's going to pull you out of the fire every time. And I'm certainly not saying that God's going to miraculously give you a parachute when the plane is going down. I'm not saying that God is going to make everything turn out the way that you want it to. But I am saying that what God starts, God finishes. And I am saying that God is with us through all the things that we endure in this life. And what looks like disaster now might look like a glorious victory later. Look at Paul. A Christian killer. A hateful man. And look what he became. And we're reading his words 2,000 years after the fact. Look at the church at Philippi incubated in a jail cell. And here we are gathered around this little book today. Look at the baby in the manger, so poor, so insignificant, so far away, that he's put in an animal's food trough. Imagine that today in the 21st century where every new mama chases their kids around with a wet wipe, afraid that the dirt will hurt them. Right? A baby laying in a food trough. Because that's the only thing and the only place that they could put him. And look how that baby changes the world. Your story isn't over. It is still being told. And hope continues to move the pen. Your marriage might be over. Your relationship might be over. Your career might be over. Your very life one day will be over. But even then, it's not over for you. Not yet. Because hope continues to sing in your soul. Last winter, we did a a Bible study on the book of Ruth from the Old Testament. And I introduced you to the Irish poet I mentioned at the outset today, Padraig Otuama, who Anna Balfour introduced me to. He has a poem called Narrative Theology. And I read a line of it. I read a line of it every day now because it's inked on my arm. Padraig was working through some awful trauma in his life and he wrote these words after time with a very wise counselor. And I'd like to read it again to you today. And I said to him, are there answers to all of this? And he said, the answer is in the story, and the story is being told. And I said, but there is so much pain. And he answered, pain will happen. Then I said, will I ever find meaning? And he said, you will find meaning where you give me. The answer is in the story, and the story isn't finished. The answer is in the living and the dying. 
in the trying. For redemption on an empty hill of crosses is the shoring up of hope and the gathering of losses. It's the looking for companions in the hills and in the glens. It's the waking up and walking up and starting up again. The answer is in the living and in the trying. And I said to the wise man, what is the answer to all of this? And he said, the answer is in the story. And the story is still being told. You have been listening to Keeping the Faith, the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at ronniemcbrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. Thanks to Shutterstock Incorporated, located in New York City's Empire State Building, no less, for producing and licensing my theme music. Bobby Rains provides recording and technical expertise. Tim Riles created the Keeping the Faith logo and artwork. And Land Sunshine on My Shoulder Crow is credited with any and all photography. And as always, Toby and Mo, the two small wonder dogs that run my home, assisted with all editing. I'm Ronnie McBrayer. This has been Keeping the Faith, and I thank you for listening.